Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. This is Ex Libris On Air. My name is Brian Houston. We are reviewing a book today called Paths of Hearts. It is written by Christopher Hart, and uh, he is with us right now on the telephone from his home in Virginia. Mr. Hart, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on with us. We're excited to talk to you about your book today. Uh, the first thing that I, I have to tell people is uh, if you'll look at the uh, cover of the book, on the back of the cover, it says that uh, we are putting here in the hands of dear readers quite an extraordinary little book. It's a selection of various genre stories and poetic pieces interweaving as the reader keeps reading. Uh, there is a separate chapter, War Stories, fully based on authentic events uh, and also poems uh, about war, Polish war, uh, being historically verifiable uh, in all the little-known details. So I guess, first of all, tell us a little bit about uh, this book and what it's all about. Well, this is the book uh, written. Uh, it's a compilation of uh, various thoughts on life and history. And uh, the inspiration of it was also an, an inner feel, uh, an inner feeling, uh, unease, I would say, about many issues uh, of the present life and uh, the situation uh, people created for themselves. And the issue of unresolved deaths of history, for one, that's uh, about the World War II uh, in Europe, and the issues about treatment. Uh, of animals, which I call here our silent brothers, and uh, my own personal conflicts, uh, regrets, joys, which, as always, poets, uh, or I don't really consider myself a poet, but a person who writes poetry. So I think, uh, as always, uh, people of that kind uh, express their own feelings. In poetry. Tell me a little bit about your background and what relation you have with World War II, that so much of this would be centered on World War II and the Polish War. Well, the World War II, uh, in the chapter, the, the war stories, it's uh, a very alive still event uh, in uh, the Polish uh, life. I am originally from Poland, and uh, my parents took uh, part in that uh, war were, as all the families, uh, affected by it, and uh, those uh, those memories uh, are still alive in almost every family. Maybe I, I should add that to, for the benefit of the listeners, that uh, the European countries lost a horrendous number of uh, people during the war, uh, so if uh, we here in the U.S. Uh, lost about 400,000 people, uh, almost every country uh, from the Central Europe lost people in millions. Uh, numbers are in millions, yeah. so it's worth to remember uh, the proportion of it. How old were you when uh, World War II was taking place? I, I wasn't born yet. Okay. I, I, 
I was born after the war. Okay, so uh, l- let me ask how old you are now. I'm 64. Okay, so you came after the war. So what is it about uh, the aftermath of World War II uh, that, that struck you so much, having not actually gone through war but gone through, I guess, uh, reconstruction and recovery? Obviously, that has made a great impact on you. Well, first of all, the stories, the family stories heard from, uh, as one would say, horses' mouth uh, uh, from the people's, uh, who, people who uh, participated in it were not just the witnesses of it, but uh, partook uh, in it, were uh, active fighters, prisoners, uh, victims of it. The second part is, of course, the the failing of the, of history being taught, the history of the war being taught to people, to young generation, and uh, quite often uh, history was uh, presented with a political motives uh, in the background. So we rarely heard it as it was. I uh, also noticed that uh, in the West, the history is known a little less of those uh, stories. It's understandable, but it uh, it is worth to recall it as it was. Were these people who were members of your family? Uh, how did you gather these stories that uh, you came up with uh, for your book? Yes. The, uh, actually, I allowed myself to make uh, some little notes towards toward, uh, the end of the stories, uh, uh, giving some explanation to it. Uh, the, the first story is a story, a uh, little story about uh, my family uh, at the time, my father being, and my uncles being uh, young uh, boys, and my grandmother. The second is uh, also the one in which my father uh, was taking part. It is a partisan story. The third one is about a dear friend of mine who died already, who was a prisoner uh, in Siberia. Uh, he was held out there for many years by Soviet government. So I'm, t- I'm getting t- taking this, then it's very important to you that you wanted these stories passed on and recorded so that uh, people would have a, a, a sense of what your friends and family went through. Exactly. All right. Uh, let me ask you about this. You, you mentioned uh, in your uh, your questionnaire, you're talking about the the main focus of this book is the heart uh, and the inner con- right. and the inner conflicts of the heart. Explain to me uh, that concept as you write this book. Well, as I wrote in the in the uh, sort of a, uh, uh, introductory to the book itself, that that the my goal is the message, its value, and its acceptance. And um, this might not be pleasing to some sensitive ears or unwilling minds, but if you read it right and focus, you're, you might enter a new world, so often bypassed and forgotten, with its many invisible to most paths. I call these paths of hearts. Both the war and uh, the personal experience should not bypass, uh, and it doesn't, uh, the, the, the person's uh, heart. The, 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 it's uh, all based on that if one shuts uh, his heart, his feelings, to the world, he becomes uh, almost, uh, 
inanimate object. Uh, I think it is uh, crucial for us to have our heart open, uh, see the world as it is, feel it, and react accordingly. And this is the way of heart. Now, when you say react accordingly, what exactly, what, what would be the desired outcome of what you're talking about? If you open up your heart and you see the world uh, the way it is, what would be the desired outcome and reaction to the world now? I believe that we all have in our heart, given by God, message, instruction, how to act, what to do. We, we have the knowledge what's right, what's wrong, and if we listen, just try to listen to our hearts, to this knowledge and to what our hearts are, uh, this message in our heart is telling us, we'll know how to react. We'll know that if we see the, a crime being committed on, uh, on a street, uh, somewhere in the street, or uh, someone being hurt uh, somewhere that we should help, we'll know that we should uh, not allow the other living creatures being uh, utilized as uh, objects only and uh, put to suffering and cruelty. Uh, and uh, actually, all the if we look at uh, the wars and uh, the, the recent wars and something, we know those people were the ones, those who listened to their hearts. They were ones who resisted the injustices, they were ones who created the uh, movements which liberated uh, the countries and uh, and did the right thing. And uh, the history is full of them, in both in the American history, the European history, and uh, even the recent history of uh, the countries uh, of the Third World War. So, uh, of the Third World, I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, those are the people who do something, achieve the uh, the uh, the goals of of freedom and of uh, creating the the new nations, people who just become indifferent to to the hard calling that they, they they fail. Now you also uh, have uh, sections in the book that have to do with uh, cruel uh, treatment of animals. Now, how did that fit in with the stories of war that you're talking about? Well, they don't have to fit it in. Uh, except the fact that there are also stories of the of heart of of the of our heart actually cruelty committed on animals is uh, is the little talked about uh, horror story of uh, our our human civilization and uh, uh, we we just don't call it as it is we don't care about them because we are, uh, we don't hear them talking. Uh, they they are not voting. They they can't resist. We just take advantage of them. Uh, I think uh, injustices and cruelties committed on them uh, are horrendous, and it's probably not a coincidence that uh, almost all serial killers started they 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 progress to. To, to, to killing people by mutilating and killing animals. Mm. All right, and uh, I get the impression then, based on what we're talking about, we're talking about some fairly dark topics, topics here. Uh, is there ever a moment where there's a, a sense of lightness in the book, where it's uh, not quite so dark and serious? I think it is. Uh, whether it is not serious, 
Yes, it is. In the section about the animals, there are some uh, humorous uh, poems. Uh, the, there is a, there's some humor in, uh, uh, for example, in the story about my parents. Uh, there is some, uh, mm, some humor mixed with, with irony and sometimes uh, sardonic look at life uh, in some others. Uh, yes, you can find some humor, but humor is not the main sure. uh, character of this book. Ultimately, what is it that you want people to come away from re- having read this book feeling? What do you want uh, to uh, um, evoke in your readers when they read your book? I guess I would have to repeat myself. I want them to listen to their hearts, mm-hmm. uh, observe the world as it is, and listen to their hearts. And I think... If they do that, they, they will not fail as human beings. And I will have a little satisfaction of uh, doing something uh, right. But it is not me the important person, uh, important uh, part of that whole uh, equation. And the message. And the message is listen to your heart. Okay, is there anything that I've left out that we haven't covered in the book? Is there anything that you want people to know about the book that we haven't talked about? Well, we could concentrate on details. Uh, for example, like uh, the poems uh, Coyotes. Uh, they, it is a poem about uh, the tribe of uh, animals fighting for their freedom, liberty. I think it would be close to heart all of us who who value the freedom. Uh, the other part, more uh, historical one, uh, you can find in the poem Polish War. Uh, it presents little known to the West uh, stories selected stories, I couldn't put all of them in, mm-hmm. in it, of a Polish struggle with uh, the, well, during that last war, which was a horrific uh, event uh, where uh, close to 60, 50, 60 million people mm. perished, and uh, again, not many of us know those uh, things. Uh, so history students, lovers, probably will find something for them in it. Where can we get your book, Path of Hearts, by Chris Hart? Well, Exlibris is uh, uh, publishing it now. Uh, it will be available through um, uh, the Internet and uh, supposedly some stores like uh, Barnes & Nobles or something will be carrying them, uh, will be carrying those books, at least for some time. The publicity campaign is starting. We'll see how it proceeds. Well, best of luck to you with the book. Again, the name of the book is called The Path of Hearts, and uh, obviously you're pleading for uh, people to uh, uh, be more sensitive, to be more compassionate, to uh, to remember their humanity to all men and animals, I would assume. That's right. Very good. Mr. Hart, we appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Be sure and pick up a copy of Paths of Hearts. It's written by Chris Hart. Thank you very much for being on with us today. Thank you. Chris Hart, the author of Paths of Hearts, published by Ex Libris. I'm Brian Houston. This is Ex Libris On Air. 
Max Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled A Sixth Sense. A priestly murder unleashes a lifelong odyssey of pursuit, hiding, and escape. Our author who joins me from the Chicago area in the United States is Alastair Davey. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. The back of your book starts, gives a little insight into your story. What would you do to escape the grinding poverty of life in a Dublin slum mm-hmm. of the 1930s? What chance do you have to break out of this debilitating and mind-numbing hold on you? Would you kill to survive? Intriguing question, sir. Uh, this is a fictional novel of 378 pages. What was the inspiration behind your writing this? Uh, my, I have a fascination for uh, 20th century history, and uh, I read a, a book called The Dublin Tenement Life, uh, which is an oral history of people lived in these slums in Dublin. And it got me, got me thinking about what would I do uh, to, to get out of the, uh, this terrible environment, and what would, how would I escape from it. And from there... I started to develop my character. Your character is a priest, is that correct? No, it's my not character a is, is a young Irish man. Irish man. You, yeah. you use the term as a subtitle, a priestly murder. That, uh, that part uh, was uh, intriguing to me. What is the significance, significance of a priestly murder? Well, uh, uh, Francis Reagan, who's the, who is my character, um, was abused by a priest. Uh, and um, murdered the priest uh, to prevent him, prevent the priest from uh, getting involved with other young children at an orphanage. And so he had to run away from Ireland, um, and he joined as an ambulance driver in the Spanish Civil War. So his saga continued. It uh, begins in the Spanish Civil War, and then... How far into the 20th century does it does it go? It goes into—well, the story, whole story ends in 1986, believe it or not. Wow. Um, so it, it goes goes through the Spanish Civil War. 
uh, his uh, capture um, and prison life in the concentration camp in Spain, recruited by the Germans to spy on the British. And he went to Belfast, uh, where the German Luftwaffe in the Second World War had a major raid um, on Belfast, which was a big shipping center for, for actually where the Titanic was uh, built. Major uh, uh, bombing raid, uh, which killed many of his friends. And he ran away again to England because he was being pursued by the MI5, which is the uh, which is the uh, sort of FBI of the UK. Yes, uh, the the uh, home residence that used to be, I think, of 007, wasn't not. Well, he was at MI6. <laughs> MI6. Well, I missed him by a digit. What can I tell you? <laughs> as, you be, as you begin to write this, did you decide to, to sit down and uh, do you work from outlines, or did you just, from an inspirational standpoint, begin writing? It's a bit of both, actually, because you sit down and work. I, I, that's how I work is work by chapter by chapter and write a, 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 an outline for each chapter. Uh, before you actually sit down and do the writing. Uh, but I found that in doing the writing, finally, I had other ideas, so I expect, went, went into other ideas and put it in, in the book. Would you describe it as uh, character-driven, or is it action-driven, your novel? Uh, I would say more action-driven, um, because he gets involved in... Uh, uh, Buying and he, for the Germans, and he, he gets involved in in uh, being pursued by the police in the UK. So there's a lot of action going on. A lot of action, and in the uh, pursuit of getting this completed, did you start out with a target audience, or did it just evolve? Uh, well, I, my target audience really is, I suppose, people that are are interested in historical novels, particularly at this period. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of um, TV uh, shows coming out, such, such as Foil's War or even Downton Abbey, in a sense. Correct. Uh, that are historical, uh, and it, I it would appeal to these sort of people that uh, like these sort of programs. Chapter, I think it's chapter two, just to give our, our listeners a, uh, an idea of your writing style. You ah. started by saying, Francis approached the rectory the next evening with an empty feeling in the pit of his stomach. He waited in the shadows of the church, trying to muster some sort of courage. After yeah. a while, he took a deep breath and reached for the ornate knocker on the door of the rectory. And so it goes. You build the mystery in short but effective sentences. Is this style something that you have emulated or tried to emulate from another author, perhaps? Not really. I, I, I'm a journalist by background. Uh, I work for Reuters and Financial Times. And in journalism, you're used to making short, sharp sentences. Uh, whereas in writing a novel, it's more, uh, there are longer sentences. So I suppose that's, that's part, of my, part of my style. I'm also noticing that this might be appropriate, and I'll have to 
get confirmation from you for any reader, say above uh, 14, 15 years of age, uh, a young adult could read this uh, satisfactorily. Uh, is that also a possibility? It's also a possibility to learn learn easily a little bit about history. Yes. Of European history. I was uh, mostly concerned about content and uh, words that might be objectionable for a parent to have their child read, but I'm not seeing that in your book. Well, there's only, there's only this situation where he was attacked by the priest. Yes. Um, but other than that, there's not really anything, anything uh, untoward. How would you introduce this to someone in a couple of paragraphs or sentences? It's a saga of, of a young man's life uh, through, uh, through uh, his crimes that he's committed uh, and his running from authority, authority, authorities uh, throughout his life, um, and he ends up in in a rundown area and not London, but in fact he finds it. Uh, very cathartic, um, and in, uh, and uh, is thinks he found his uh, his uh, bolto uh, from life. Would Unfortunately, uh, his past catches up with him, hmm. and so he runs again. Would you say that there is after completing this and looking back, maybe you didn't intend to have a, a moral to the story or an underlying message, but did one pop through, or is it simply entertainment? Yes, it, it was simply entertainment. But I, I think, I think uh, you have to be careful what you do because your past always catches up with you. That's succinct and to the point, just like a journalist would say. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> excellent, uh, excellent descriptive of uh, of your character and and how uh, the story fits him and his life. Are there other authors or are there other stories in the marketplace that you think might be similar to yours, but yours is distinctive? Um, well, I think uh, Ken Follett's uh, um, books, uh, he's got a, um, three books out at the moment, uh, which follows the life of, of poor people throughout the uh, 20th century, with, dealing with the First World War, Second World War. Uh, I'm just waiting for his, for his final book to come out. But, Let's uh, hope it's not about a Third World War. We own it. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> But it, 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 he deals he deals with history, history of that time wrapped up in in, in characters and, and in the novel. Uh, it's worth they're well well uh, well worth reading. Of the action that you have placed in your novel, is there one particular scene that would you'd like to highlight that would get the listeners interested in reading it, or perhaps a producer to produce? A TV series around the storyline. Actually, I think, frankly, the, the the last page of the book is is where uh, it's pretty intriguing. Where he, um, I'm not going to give away the story, but he's in a hotel in in the Lake District in, in England and regrets his life. Hmm. Um, and what he what he's done a reflective passage reflective yeah. uh, point of the, uh, the would, story that, that would make someone want to say oh I'm, I want to read this further about this there must have been some challenges in writing your 
novel and completing it. Would you like to share some of those, or was it easy to complete? Um, it took me about three years to complete. Hmm. Uh, I enjoyed the research a lot, doing doing very very clever, very very detailed research before I wrote it, because I wanted to make sure everything was in it was correct. Um, and then the the writing part of it, after after I outlined everything, uh, fell in, fell into place basically. Um, but but the, the longest part was was the actual research which I did. This is a book that should be of interest to a lot of my listeners. The title again is A Sixth Sense: A Priestly Murder Unleashes a Lifelong Odyssey of Pursuit, Hiding, and Escape. Our author, Alastair Davey, has joined us from the Chicago area. Sir, where do we get copies of your book? Well, it's available uh, at Amazon. Uh, it's available online at Barnes & Noble or at Clippers. Thank you again for joining me today, and let me give the spelling of your name so that individuals can do a search online and keep in touch. It's okay. Alastair, A-L-A-S-T-A-I-R, last name Davey, D-A-V-I-E. E, no S on that. So thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you. Do you have another book in the works by any chance? Yes, I do. I thought you I, might. I've got a third one in mind as well. <laughs> well, we look forward to visiting, visiting with you when that uh, comes out. Love to visit with you and talk about your experience in, uh, in adapting another story to print. Thank you, sir. Thank you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of this trilogy, this thriller trilogy is Retrogenesis Trilogy, and the author is Robert Swan, and Robert joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Robert. Hello, Steve. It's good to talk to you. Well, great to talk to you. Uh, you are over in England. I'm here in Texas. It sounds like we're in the same studio, the magic of technology. The of modern science. <laughs> yeah. And that's what your book is really credible, because you're dealing with some science. 
Really something that we could see happen in these days where the world has grown, grown very, very small and China is rising and the United States is getting weaker, so you could see something like this happen. Well, the world's on a catastrophic global financial collapse. That's what we're talking about here. And, and of course, this scientific invention, which we'll learn more about, uh, that may seem too good to be true, but it, it's real credible, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's the discovery made by a couple of young scientists when they're doing some work for the Ministry of Defense, uh, which um, is, is an anomaly which offers tremendous good, tremendously good things that can really, really help the world in general, especially after such an awful financial crash that uh, the world has experienced. And it's really the development of that and the uh, attitude of the, the scientists and of the people who get to know about this particular invention, uh, which leads to the science being the vehicle for the narrative. And uh, the, uh, the good that it does is is almost beyond imagination. Uh, uh, but the book does go, all the books go through how this can actually help and, and help mankind. The problem is um, that the uh, the bad, there's a bad side to this technology as well, which is extremely, extremely dangerous. And the scientists decide that they can't really allow any other nation, or government or body to actually get control of this, uh, this technology simply because if they had it, they would be in command of everything. And uh, the scientists, like me, I suppose, don't trust the politicians to, uh, to, to take good care of it in the way in which uh, it should be taken care of. Well, I think we would all agree with that <laughs> assessment of politicians. At the same time, Robert, uh, this has come about, uh, it was supposed to be just one book. It's turned into three books. So tell us how this happened and tell us about your background. Right. Well, yeah, as you said, it's, uh, it's three books. It started out as one, but when I got to a thousand pages, I realized that uh, that was really not, uh, not, not something that uh, anybody would want to read in one, in one hit, so to speak. So I broke the story into three parts, uh, which meant that I had to rewrite the beginnings and ends of each story so that they, on, the, on their own, they could be read uh, individually. The, uh, the start of this was uh, because of my background, I, I am, was and still am, uh, a management consultant and I have an international practice which is based in the United Kingdom and the United States as well in Atlantic City and uh, um, it involves me traveling um, all over the world. I, in fact, I've traveled in over 40 different countries and worked in over 40 different countries and um, the, uh, some of the countries I go to are fairly remote. Let's say, for example, one example is Siberia. That's a relatively remote place to go to. And I've been to southern Iraq, and that's a relatively uh, remote place to be, to be to. And some of the airports that I've been using over that period of time were very small uh, and not necessarily terribly efficient. And when the PA system is switched on and I'm waiting for my flight and it suddenly says, we regret to announce, that's when I realize that there's going to be a problem, that either my flight has been delayed or entirely cancelled. And at that stage, I used to get my laptop out and I used to sit down and I used to make notes about the countries uh, which I visited, the dictatorships, the, the parliamentarian countries, the religious countries, and it began to formulate into, into a story. 
and the the credibility of that story is because the as I said before, the narrative is is supported by the uh, the science, which allows things to happen that don't necess- can't necessarily happen now, but will be able to in the in the near future. Uh, some of the things that have been presumed in the book when I started writing it, and this was some 15 years ago, um, have now come into being, and it's quite frightening, really. And some of the people to whom I talk say, "Can I write some good things as well, so that if they come true, then everybody can enjoy themselves." <laughs> Well, uh, it's often as uh, fiction does turn into reality, as we've, you know, we can uh, certainly testify of that through the, the history of man as he, as he writes like you do. Now, let's tell us about the title, Retrogenesis. It's a hybrid word. What, it's definitely a hybrid, yeah. Um, um, retro, of course, means um, uh, going, uh, going back and uh, uh, to, to return, if you like. And Genesis, of course, in biblical sense, is the beginning. So what happens is that the technology within this story um, allows mankind to go back to the beginning and start again with a clean slate. Mm. As you can imagine, the clean slate approach is pretty good for ordinary people, but not necessarily good for powerful governments. They don't really want to start again. They want the status quo to continue. And uh, this is the, the story of the interaction between the few who have the interests of uh, uh, the, the world population at heart and, and the many who have uh, an, an opposition to that particular view. So Retrogenesis 1 is the discovery of this science? Yeah, Retrogenesis 1 is called the anomaly. And it's the anomaly which they discover quite by chance, which is the basis for this, uh, this science. Uh, and it's that which gives them the um, it, it gives them the ability to uh, to to build a new society, which they have to do because they can't find any government or body that they can trust to have with this powerful uh, technology. So they build a new a new um, home in in the Atlantic, and they do it using the actual technology itself, which shows something of the power of that particular technology. Now, at the same at the same time, in retrogenesis one, is the world going through this financial collapse? Yeah, this is the aftermath of the collapse uh, uh, when the uh, all governments have collapsed. Even even the most uh, um, powerful nations are brought to their knees by this, uh, and there are new alliances which which come into place, and it's where the United States and China and uh, Europe get together to form an alliance. Uh, but it's a fairly unholy alliance, as you would imagine. Um, and uh, there is another alliance which goes on, but that's the Russian-based alliance. And of course, as in history, those two uh, um, are, are against each other. Uh, but the whole the whole thing itself, the whole story, is um, uh, based on the fact that there is one particular man, a fellow by the name of Colin Wilson, who is a rogue politician, who is trying to get hold of this particular technology for his own use specifically and he's playing one side off against the other in order to to do that and the only people who can stop this from happening are the scientists who initially found the uh, the anomaly itself you have six main characters you just told us about one of them uh, this yeah. mr wilson uh, who fits yeah, he, who fits the profile fact, of a of a lusting for power kind of politician yeah well he started out when the story started as a minor player and as the story developed he became a major major player 
Um, but the, the others, there's a fellow called Chester Gilliland, who is a uh, he is one of the founders of the new society, and he's its financier. He he is one half of a very very um, rich American oil company. There is a friend of his called Bruce Crook, who is a physicist, and he really is the inventor or the the, the discoverer of this particular uh, science. And he is one of the founders of the new uh, society. And then there is uh, Penny Kane. She's an American girl who actually is a partner of Chester Gilliland. And she is the other half of the American oil company. So they've got a very good basis, a very good uh, um, uh, sound basis for the beginning of this, uh, this new society. Um, one of the interesting uh, people in this is a fellow built by the name of Silas Pettit. And he is a soldier of fortune. And he used to work for Colin Wilson, the rogue politician, uh, and uh, he escaped from him. And he, he turned into a founder, and he turned from being a soldier of fortune into being a philanthropist. And he has um, a, a big part to play in the whole story. And then the two other people that are involved are Julietta Gray, and she is a a people person. She's the one who finds the necessary uh, people and wherewithal to start the new society off. And uh, a fellow called Ed Pickering, and he is an absolutely brilliant Scottish engineer. He's probably the best engineer since forever. And so these are the characters. There. They're, they're very rich characters. They have a lot to offer and a lot to say, and they blend together really beautifully. So this physics breakthrough that is predicted in the book uh, in, yeah. in many ways has come true? Well, yeah, in fact, there was a, um, one of the bits of the science is to do with physics, uh, and it's to do with a particle, uh, a neutrino that travels uh, faster than the speed of light, which until maybe a year ago was considered by many, including Einstein, to be impossible. Uh, but there's, a, um, there's a, uh, an experiment going on at the CERN uh, Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland last year which fired a neutrino from Switzerland into Italy and it travelled faster than the speed of light, which gives some more credibility to the science that I've been, been talking about. And some of the side effects of uh, things which, are, uh, which come out of the technology are also coming to uh, coming to into being. For example, just recently, within the last month or so, there are some surgeons saying that they can actually work on teeth without drilling, but by using uh, laser, uh, so that uh, there's no drilling required and no, and no anaesthetic required. Uh, and this is part of the of what this new technology also is offering uh, within the Retrogenesis trilogy. So we have Retrogenesis 1, which is the anomaly, and then Retrogenesis 2, it's titled The Journey. The Journey, that's right. Yeah. So the anomaly really introduces the science and introduces the basis for the story itself and the beginning of the new society. Retrogenesis 2, The Journey, is taking the new society through all the difficulties of people wanting to steal the idea from them and holding them to ransom and of, uh, holding their island to siege as well and how they overcome that problem using the technology, which is unfortunate for them in one respect. It's because their technology is peaceful, but they have to use it as a weapon of defense. So if, if you like, there's a peaceful weapon of defense that comes, uh, comes out of this. And Retrogenitus 3, the legacy, is... As this whole thing develops, 
what are they as a, a new society going to leave behind them? What are they, what are they offering to the world? And the, the, uh, the, the conclusion, um, I, I am told by people who already read it, is really quite dramatic and, and, and quite uh, thought-provoking. In fact, the whole story is uh, considered to be thought-provoking uh, by those who have uh, read the, 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 the whole of the trilogy. Well, you talk about your themes uh, that deal with international government mismanagement and also the ultimate ascendancy of the big society. What do you mean by that, the big society? The big society, um, the big society is where people actually get together and help themselves rather than relying on governments to do things for them. The big society is proactive within society. In other words, it acts in its own interest. It doesn't stand back and say, for example, uh, uh, Mr. President or, or Mr. Prime Minister, I want you to help me because I don't know what to do. What the big society does is it heals itself. It sorts itself out. Well, it sounds like a very hopeful book then in some ways. It is. It is, uh, it is in the end, it's optimistic. There is, a, uh, there is some pessimism, of course, during the whole course of the thing, as you would expect. Because like the technology, which has two sides, a good side and a bad side, there is also an optimistic and a pessimistic side. But it comes out on the side of pessimism. And it gives a lot of hope for mankind and for the future as well. Uh, I'm a firm believer that that's the, that's the direction we're heading in. Well, science can really benefit man. It has benefited man. And in the future, it could be the salvation of man if he would just think properly and like you say this big society idea that i think that would ring true with most readers i think so yeah and then we have to take away the need for politicians to um exercise control over everything right. what should happen is that the whole country the whole world i suppose really but the whole country should work together in the same direction i mean we have an ad and I think you have the same in the United States. We have an adversarial government where the opposition rubbishes what the, uh, the, the government are doing and vice versa when the whole thing reverses. Um, the big society says everybody works together, not necessarily that they agree with everything together, but they move together in the same direction and they support each other. And I think that's the important part of it. Well, the great premise and uh, we just... Hope that it comes true, because we, I think we feel it and sense uh, problems all over the world. Obviously, the news is filled with them, so it's very disconcerting every day to watch the news. Well, it is now when you consider what's going on in the Middle East, what's right. going on in Africa, right. what's going on in Afghanistan, and I mean, some of these places that I've been to, and, and I, I just... I, I, I just don't like to see that happening there, because I've had some wonderful experiences in some of these places, and it's terrible to see the the influence there has been from politicians and from, uh, unfortunately, uh, fundamentalist religions uh, and dictatorships. Not all dictatorships are bad, but some are. Mm -hmm. Not all uh, fundamental religious uh, countries are bad, but some are. And not all democratic countries are good, but some are. I'd like to see more of the good and less of the bad. We've been listening to Robert Swan. He's the author of his trilogy, Retrogenesis. We've got number one is The Anomaly, number two, The Journey, and number three, The Legacy. Robert, what's the best way to get this trilogy? Well, it's, it's available um, online. 
it's available through the usual online sources. Uh, in the UK, it's through um, uh, uh, Waterstones. Uh, it's in the USA, it's through Barnes & Noble. Uh, of course, it's through Amazon as well. Or it can come from the publishers. It's got many sources, and of course, it's available as an e-book as well, which, uh, which a lot of people actually like to use these days, I know. Thank you so much, Robert, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.